Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 118 with my return guest, Kulap Vilaysak. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. My name is Paul Gilmartin. I got that backwards. My name is Paul Gilmartin, and this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. 90, 90 minutes. That actually hasn't been 90 minutes probably in a, in a couple of months. It's more like a, more like 100 to a 110 minutes. of. Uh, but that doesn't really roll off the tongue, so we're going we're gonna to keep it to 90 minutes. No. 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room. It doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Please go there, fill out the surveys. You can see how other people responded to the surveys. Um, you can um, join the forum. A lot of people finding comfort and uh, camaraderie in the forum, and I count myself as one of them. Um, and you can support the show on the website as well. What did I want to share with you? Oh, I had another one of these um, one of these moments um about five days ago where I'm playing hockey and I find myself in this really, really angry space where I'm trying way too hard and I find myself... Like when you're playing hockey and and in the span of 10 minutes, three guys on the other team ask you, what's your fucking problem? It's probably you. It's probably you. You know, like one guy you can kind of write off and say, oh, that guy's just sensitive. But I thought I was just playing hard, but I'd become that guy, that intramural guy that I hate. That is that you just see you just see he's like trying to get dad's hug by by playing. And it 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 looks so sad on a guy with crow's feet. It 
it just does. And in my mind, you know, I'm Bobby Orr when I'm out there. I'm I'm laying down. I'm blocking shots. I'm making good outlet passes. I'm skating hard. But it probably looked kind of pathetic. And um, and one of the things that kind of being in recovery and stuff and in therapy has has helped me do is when I find myself getting into it with people is one of the things I do is I try to go someplace quiet afterwards and uh, jack off into a dumpster. I go to someplace quiet and try to look inside myself and say, what what was it that was triggering me? What What is bringing up this anger and this intensity, this fear inside of me? And as I looked at it, I was like, motherfucker, I'm afraid of getting older. I'm afraid that I can't keep up with these guys anymore because I was so out of breath when I was playing. It was like I would go out there and after 45 seconds, I would just be gasping for breath. And I found myself envious of like the younger guys who could skate up and down, uh, you know, the ice three, four times and wouldn't even be as out of breath. And uh, I was like, I'm I'm really basically the version of the dude with the toupee driving the Corvette, you know, the divorcee. Um just a little a little bit uh hiding it just a little bit better just doing it on ice really that's that's the only difference but i wanted to share that with you guys and i'm on day uh i guess it'd be about day 12 or 13 of uh lamictal still on 25 milligrams not not feeling much of a difference yet um but they say you don't usually feel a difference until like maybe week three so fingers crossed all right Lots of surveys and um, mostly surveys today. Uh, but I'm going to kick it off with a, an email I got from Megan Enlow, who works uh, with the New Media Expo, uh, who actually gave me a podcasting uh, award earlier this year in the uh, health and fitness category, which makes me laugh because I'm they're giving a, a health and fitness award to a guy who last time he walked into a health club, scanned his card, and the woman behind the counter said, you haven't used your card in 700 days, and then just shook her head. So I love that. Uh, Megan writes, I'm sitting in the Cal Optima building processing free and low-cost health care insurance forms while listening to you talk to Megan Parkansky about getting health care coverage. Megan was my guest a couple of weeks back. Return guest. Uh, please let your listeners know that the state slash county they live in wants them to have health coverage. It's far cheaper to keep people healthy than it is to heal them when their condition reaches emergency status. For low income or income that goes up and down a lot, like a lot of artists here in Southern California, there is a good chance they qualify for a state program. It's not just for the indigent street person. It's hard to admit when you're not uh, able to afford health insurance. But if listeners will suck up their pride and walk into the social services office, they may be surprised at the services they qualify for. Thank you for that, uh, Megan. And uh, you can often call uh, to dial 211 from a landline and find out what services are available in your area. This is from the, uh, these next couple are from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. A uh, woman who calls herself Into the Gray about her OCD writes, if what I do isn't perfect, I am worthless. Sarah, uh, who is in her 30s, uh, about her bipolar depression. She writes, it makes me feel like I'm in a backwards telescope and everyone and everything else have drifted far away and I can't feel or understand anything anymore. 
About her bulimia, she writes, when I'm binging, I feel out of control, frenzied and monstrous. When I'm purging, I feel pathetic, ashamed and disgusting. I feel like I'm doing something unnatural and fundamentally wrong to my body. Afterwards, I feel shaky, tired and numb, and I pray that it will have been the last time. And then uh, about her being bipolar, she also adds, um, being diagnosed as bipolar too makes me feel like the diagnosis is just an excuse for my bad behavior. And then I'm really just a bad person and the doctor just slapped bipolar type 2 on me because he couldn't diagnose me as a selfish, angry, hateful, jealous, whiny bitch. Giving you a big fucking hug there, Sarah, because I know what that feels like. Um, Cat about her depression, writes about her bipolar, uh, being forced to decide every day that you want to live when you first wake up, about being a sex crime victim. Is this the day when I panic and cry when my boyfriend wants to make love to me? That one breaks my heart. Um, And about her um, uh, mania mixed episodes, she writes, um, running around like a motorized doll with show tunes blasting in my head while I compulsively clean, eat, listen to music, surf the internet, and watch TV all at once. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself BD. He is uh, mostly straight. He writes straight, mostly straight, but maybe. Uh, he's in his 30s. Um, and he, he qualifies, I feel mentally 14. Does that count? Uh, BD, I think most of us feel mentally 14. He was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts, death, so much death daily, either by my own hand, accident, or someone else. I think about being robbed and purposely giving them a hard time so they'll kill me. No one actually likes me or ever has. I'm tolerated and a burden, and I can demonstrate how everyone I'm connected to would have a better life without me. Deepest, darkest secrets. I've attempted to or at least planned my suicide more than the two times I've told my therapist, including last November when I wrote a note and decided to do it in a hotel with pills. Um, sexual fantasy is most popular, most powerful to you. So many group sex, bisexual orgies, bondage, being tied and tying someone down, water sports, giving control to the point where I'm forced to do things I don't enjoy, taking control, but only to give immense pleasure, specific clothing and props, humiliation by being in public. Would you ever consider telling a partner, close friend, she knows most of them and is good giving and game. Um, sounds like ought to be a saying, doesn't it? Uh, secrets do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings i'm very much a pervert but i'm actually okay with that um you don't sound like a pervert to me sound like a person with a with a healthy sexual imagination as long as you aren't stepping on other people's toes um this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Jillian. She's bisexual in her 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. And I'm just going to read a little bit of, of her survey, not the whole thing. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I'm not sure of my answer on two levels. First, I think that this question is asking about an adult or someone in a position of power sexually abusing you as a child. If that's the case, then no. That's actually not that that. It involves, it can be sexual abuse when you're an adult as well. It doesn't have to just be about when you're a child or adolescent. Um, she, she writes, second, uh, my first time having intercourse 
uh, I had said no probably three times. He did it anyway. I felt horrible about it anyway, but I didn't fight. Uh, I did say no strongly. I went back and had sex with him three to four more times to prove to myself that it was my choice. That That is more than... than um, Maybe that that is sexual abuse. If you said no strongly, um, yeah, and that and that makes sense to me that you would go back to try to prove to yourself that that it was your choice. Because I think when people get abused, they want to try anything. You know, I think it, it's like the the seven stages of death and dying. I think that first stage is denial. You're either going to blame yourself, or you're going to say that that you wanted it, or it turned you on, or and sometimes your body may even be turned on. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm terrified that I'm going to be a child molester. There is no basis for these thoughts. When I was about 10, I thought it was a good idea to show my brother what my vagina looked like. It was creepy and wrong, and I'm terrified that I scarred him for life. At the same time, I think I was just a child and that I was trying to figure out what was going on with my own body. That doesn't make it okay. I'm too ashamed of this to really even say it out loud. I would say it's the latter. You know, kids our kids it doesn't sound like there was uh any time any type of like malice behind it and it, you know a lot of times the brothers probably want to know what a, a vagina looks like um so i don't know if it scarred him but maybe bring it up to him um deepest darkest secrets after dating my girlfriend for a year, I realized that I'm actually bisexual because I had an intense sexual dream involving my brother. This really, really creeped and grossed me out. He was about 16 and was just getting facial hair, and I had to see him the next day and felt really dirty. I wouldn't put any credence into dirty dreams about relatives. Um, that's just me. Uh, you know, the, the things that we that we dream about, um, I don't know, or, or go talk to somebody that analyzes dreams and knows more than a jackass that tells dick jokes while he cooks chicken um and again you didn't ask for my opinion so why don't i just shut my fucking mouth and read the next one but i do um i do think you might get some some closure by bringing that thing up to your brother about when you did that thing when you were 10 because I, I i don't think that's something you should still be beating yourself up for um this is from the Shouldn't Feel This Way survey. And this was filled out by a guy who calls himself Alexander. He's straight in his 30s, was raised in a stable and safe environment. What would you like people to say about you at your funeral? A, self, a selfless man whose existence was a gift to humanity. A man whose actions and behaviors set a new standard for kindness and generosity. He will be sadly missed by his daughters and fiance. Um, how does that write? How does that writing that how does writing that make you feel like a complete arsehole, a delusional, self-centered, narcissistic fuckwad who isn't worth a shit in a can? Dude, I would almost want to fly to England to just hang out with you because you fucking make me laugh. Um, and I kind of wish I was still drinking because you're the kind of guy I would love to sit and have a drink with in a pub. Um I just love the the first two things you wrote you wrote in there. If you had a time machine, how would you use it? Go forward about 10 years to just check how much devastation my existence is actually causing my family. I suspect it's a lot. Um, how many of these do you feel? I'm supposed to feel blank, but I don't. I feel blank. I'm supposed to feel excited and joyous about getting married, but I don't. I feel fraudulent and suffocated. 
I'm supposed to feel happy and fulfilled about being a father, but I don't. I feel resentment, anger, and guilt. How does writing that make you feel? Flat and worthless. Also frustrated that I can only be truthful with an anonymous survey instead of with my fiance, my family, and even my psychologist. Do you think you're abnormal for feeling what you do? Probably not. Would, other, would knowing other people feel the same way make you feel better? He writes, only if they had some answers or solutions. And that's why I would highly suggest the first person you begin to get completely honest with is your psychologist. You're already paying them, and they want to know that stuff. It makes their job more interesting. They are not there to judge you. They are there to help you. This is from the Shame and Secret survey um, filled out by a um, woman who calls herself EP. She is uh, bisexual in her 20s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional, um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know, if it, don't know if it counts. I blacked out drinking when I was 16 at a post-graduation party. I woke up in a room without my clothes on. I have no memory of what happened, and it terrifies me to even consider it. Deepest, darkest thoughts. Um, and I, I'm going to talk about this a little later in the survey, but um, I would not try to brush something like that under, under the rug um, and bury that because that's heavy. That's really fucking heavy. And um, you should talk to, to a professional about that. Um, you know, there's probably, it's probably too late to you know, worry about who did it or, you know, any kind of punishment or anything, or even if, some, you know, maybe something didn't happen, but what you're feeling is so important to talk about, to not bury that. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. I wish I could be anorexic again. Rationally, I know that it was just one of the darkest periods of my life, but when the disease was at its peak, I felt incredibly powerful, not just in terms of self-control, but also the power my seemingly imminent death held over others. It's as though I was strongest when my body was at its absolute weakest. That is just fucking... So, I don't even know the words to, it's so profound, it is so heavy and profound, that sentence, you, EP, you have such a beautiful way of putting your inner life um, into words. Deepest, darkest secrets, uh, I slept with a close friend multiple times while he still had a girlfriend. The thought of it still haunts me, but I know uh, I would do it again. Um, one other thing from her thing that I wanted to read. Um, oh, uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Being in a relationship with a man, but also being able to sleep casually and frequently with women, then would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? She writes, yes, uh, though I haven't been in a relationship for a long time. Whenever someone reveals that they are physically and emotionally attracted to me, I start to resent them. I don't know if I'll ever be in a stable relationship. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Self-hatred and shame has been my default for almost my entire life. Thinking about these things only serves to amplify it and validate it. I so, so urge you. To go, to go talk to somebody. And by the way, I so relate to that thing about, um, you know, I feel like I'm just getting to the, to the point now at 50 years old where I can accept people's love. I've shared before on the podcast that, uh, you know, when I was 18 and going out with this girl, 
she smiled at me at a party and I remember wanting to punch her in the face because I felt this this odd rage that why what the fuck are you smiling about how could you be happy to be with me it made me angry I, I, I couldn't put it into words then that that's why I was angry but um, this like rage came over me thank god I didn't hit her never have hit a woman um, I'm, I'm going to work my way up with effeminate men <laughs> oh, not going to edit this is, this is also from the Shame and Secrets survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Future Single Lady. She's bisexual in her 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. I'm not attracted to my husband. I love him and think he's a great person, provider, and husband, and I enjoy many aspects of our life together, but I have zero interest in, in him physically. I dream about cheating on him with other men and women all the time. I dream about leaving him but don't know how I would manage financially and also fear his hurt and ridicule. I can hear him saying, you just married me so you could have a kid and be taken care of and now you're done with me. I'm afraid he's right. Deepest, darkest secrets, I had a couple of emotional affairs with old boyfriends via Facebook. That sounds so lame. Just texting about having a crush back in the day and what ifs. No sexy talk. Well, not much. Oh, geez. Um, let's see. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you? Having sex with a woman. I've made, uh, I've made out with a woman, but never had sex. I fantasize about a rich massage client, a bored housewife, and I go to her home weekly to give her a massage, which turns into much more. Neither one uh, of our husbands suspect a thing, and somehow... Um, I'm guilt-free because I'm working and the cheating doesn't isn't as harmful because it's a woman. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? My husband knows that I only fantasize about women, but he doesn't know about the cheating part yet. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Fear that I will do it. Will feel too guilty to keep it a secret. Will tell my husband he will leave me and I will spend the rest of my life poor and alone, struggling to raise my son who will be fucked up because his parents split up which is my fault. Thank you for sharing that. Sending you a hug. This was filled out by, this is also Shame and Secrets, filled out by a guy who calls himself Achilles Jax. He is uh, bisexual, possibly gay, heteroflexible. Uh, he's in his 40s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, never been sexually abused, deepest, darkest thoughts that I am gay or bisexual and married my wife, a woman, and I'm not brave enough to leave, to live truthfully, to admit to the world, come out of the closet of who I am. Deepest, darkest secrets, I think of smashing my wife's face in once in a while. It's scary and I don't think I'd ever do that. I also get the impulse to grab women in public. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful, do you? Fuck five guys at once. Fuck an 11 or 12 year old sexy looking girl. I want to hardcore fuck my niece. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? Probably not. Shame and fear of abandonment. Do these uh, generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Shame sometimes. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, I like to read. I like to read stuff that. You know, if it's hard for for somebody to 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 write it down, to put it on 
paper in the survey, I um, I feel compelled sometimes to uh, to read it, and um, I'm just reading about so many people that feel trapped in a marriage and their sexuality doesn't feel honest, that, and that's why I put these last couple of ones together. Um, Although this guy's not married. This this is uh, from Shame and Secrets, filled out by a, a young young man who, what am I, 100? Filled out by a guy. He's 19, all right? A youngster. Calls himself uh, Isaac. He's male. He's straight. Um, was raised in a stable and safe environment. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. About six months ago, I was in my school's locker room when a jock who I'd previously never spoken to came out of the showers and out of nowhere he jumped me and kept shouting, I'm going to fuck your faggoty ass. And I fought him until I hit his sweet spot and ran off in a very, quote, faggoty way. Deepest, darkest thoughts. The jock I mentioned recently killed himself about three weeks ago, and around a week before he did, I verbally abused him, calling him very cruel, homophobic names. I think that I killed him. It's because of me and my fucking mouth that he hung himself. Deepest, darkest secrets. The previously mentioned. I cannot tell anybody what happened because my school's therapist is his aunt, and when I told my friends about what happened, she told me to keep it to myself, but I just can't. I just can't. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? Told my close guy friend after we made out, which confused both of us very much. Um, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Confused about who I want to insert my penis into sometimes. You know, Isaac, I would give up on trying to label what your sexuality is. You know, everybody's sexuality is a, is a continuum, and often it's it's even fluid you know it may change over time and it doesn't matter what you call your sexuality what matters is getting comfortable in it and finding somebody that you can express it with that doesn't judge you um and about this guy that said this stuff this guy had a lot a lot of self-hatred going on in him and your words did not kill this guy they did not and this guy this guy started that shit with you you know so Please, please put that uh, put that out of your mind. And then this is the last thing I want to read before we get to uh, to Kulop's um, interview. Um, this is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by um, a woman who's gay. She's in her twenties. Um, she calls herself um, LA wife LGBT. Um, I'm a lesbian. My same-sex fiancé and I had just gotten uh, a lot of stares while out for dinner. We were talking about our wedding registry, but instead of letting the staring people intimidate us, she motioned for me to talk louder about wedding stuff. I did. It was such a happy moment because I felt free and didn't care what other people thought. My fiancé also worries what uh, more what people will think of us than I do. So seeing her willing to take the real risk of being out in public like that just made me feel even more loved. Also, the next day, we were driving into Chicago on a perfect day, bright but not hot. The breeze whooshing through the cracked windows was cool and fresh, and the traffic on the Ryan Expressway had just cleared up. Just as we got our first look at the, at the city skyline, Macklemore's Same Love came on the radio. It's a pro same-sex marriage song we're featuring prominently at our wedding. I started to sing for the first time in months. I was too depressed to do that before. 
I just felt so content and safe and sure the country and attitudes would change. That song and seeing a marriage for all billboard just made me feel so accepted. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. Oh God, it's so embarrassing. I'm afraid I'll never get another job again. That I will die and will have not been special. My brain has the gift of seeing the terrible. A million pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Then I started sabotaging my own career. Wanting to die and... To stop him from feeling any joy. <laughs> that is... Very uncomfortable in my own body. I ended up becoming a male prostitute. And what I became was an animal. They took away my shoelaces. I became chaos. Like it hurts. I just want to go. I just want to leave. You have no idea what a small part of your life this is. If you go to a support group, it's like creating a family that you didn't have. I mean, life is 1% event. My body was abused. 99% judgment about that event. But they couldn't touch the best parts of me. But the world is a little bit wounding. It's also glorious. It does always get better. I'm here with Kulup Vilaisak, who most of you know because she was a guest, and not only a guest, but one of the listeners' uh, top 10 favorites of uh, 2011. I don't I know. Did know I ever that. tell you that, that you made the, no, I didn't the know top that. 10 list? Oh, you know I love a chart. <laughs> have them start. Have them start chiseling that on your, on your headstone. Uh, Kulup is also the co-host of uh, Who Charted? A very popular podcast over at Earwolf, um, and she co-hosts it with uh, the very funny uh, Howard Kramer. Um, but most recently, you and I met backstage. Um, well, not met. We knew each other. We bumped into we, each other. We've been knowing each other for a bit. Yeah. Bumped into each other backstage at Jimmy Pardo's uh, podcast-a-thon, and I asked you how you were doing, and you kind of... I don't know if you rolled your eyes or breathed an, exa- an exhausted sigh, but I was like, I think we might we might want to have you back on just to hear what's what's going on. Well, first of all, I want to say uh, incredibly uh, honored that mm-hmm. I made the top ten, mm-hmm. and I want to take this opportunity now um, to say thank you to all your listeners who wrote to me. Um, you forward me a few emails. I've gotten some beautiful Facebook messages as well. Uh, I haven't really replied at all, but I want to take this opportunity to say that it means a lot to me. Um, and I'm very touched. Uh, and, um, I feel like talking about this stuff has really set me free and to kind of hear that feedback, uh, that some other people, uh, you know, what, I've heard like when you talk so detailed about yourself, it becomes about, or if you talk so detailed about yourself, it becomes about me. So it's Mm -hmm. been really nice to have that sort of interaction with people. Um, And I just also want to say, I wonder if you get this a lot where it's like, I see you and I'm like, oh, now I can talk about like immediately. I'm like, okay, let's go. I'm going to like, like you're a therapist. Like I'm going to unload. Let's vet now. (laughs) Like, no, no, not so much. I mean, with my friends in, in, in my support groups, it's that way, but we're that way with each other. Um, but with people outside in the, the comedy community, I, you know, I, or just, you know, non, non support group friends. No, no, I'm just Paul. I'm just Paul to them, and um, I, I think I probably go to people as as much as as anybody goes to me. I think um, through email, yes, I get that a lot. That that people kind of listeners that kind of want me to be their therapist, and I always 
you know, kind of preface things by saying, I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've lived through some shit, and I've gotten some insights about it, but go to a therapist. <laughs> go to a, a, a mental health worker. See a psychiatrist. This thing is too big for you to try to handle on your own. That's kind of that's kind of my mantra over, yeah. over and over and over again. But that being said, I am extremely flattered, and I do enjoy knowing what is going on with with people sometimes it gets a little overwhelming when you get somebody that that you know goes on for six pages of single spaced type and it's just horror after horror after horror and honestly sometimes i got to kind of protect myself and just and just scan things because it would it it, it well to take that on is yeah i mean it's amazing for that person Probably, I would guess that that had been bottled up for a while. Yeah. Right. So for them to have that cathartic experience, but yeah, you do have to, you know, be careful and take care of yourself to take on and to to kind of like live it mm-hmm. as it's being illustrated as your reading would be very. It would, it would make it hard for you to be able to do this every time. The the fact that the majority of people do it in a way that isn't overwhelming to me, that is kind of to the point, gives me some detail about what they're going through, and there's a vulnerability there, that lifts my spirits. That keeps me buoyed throughout throughout the, the day if I'm having a tough day. But sometimes it can it can yeah. it can turn and obviously it's a continuum and there's all kind of all points in between. But let's yeah. go let's get back let's to get you. To me. <laughs> 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 Um, see so I would have seen you before Christmas I believe so during the or was it by Thanksgiving it was right around Thanksgiving okay then now we were in the heart of things yeah the heart of darkness the heart of darkness Um, so I haven't spoken I hadn't spoken to my mom for I would say between a year and a half to two years Mm. and um, as a choice made by me Please see my first episode of <laughs> Mental Illness Happy yeah. Hour. Um, then I, I had come to a place where I want—I decided that I, I wanted to reach out. Um, Were you feeling guilty, or hmm. did you genuinely want to rekindle for you? I feel guilty, or both. Well. All right. I mean, I'm okay. So part of it was I went, <laughs> I went to a psychic, and um, this interview is over. <laughs> I think your purse is by if the door. No, your purse is see. by the door. <laughs> <laughs> Where is my purse? That's oh, over there. Okay. Um, so you went to see a psychic. I saw a psychic, which I've never done before. In fact, I've always kind of been like, ah, uh, you know, I think I've spoken that I've done horse. Horoscope, uh, astrology retreats. I do things. I see a shaman. We'll talk about that a little later. But um, I saw a psychic, and uh, the psychic, it was actually more like a therapy session. I transcribed our uh, our meeting, and a big section he talked about. He was like, "Your mom, she's got a heart of gold, heart of gold, but she's chaos. She's darkness." It's like. Yeah, yeah. Heart of gold, heart of gold. I'm like, yes, yes, that's true too. And the way he described, he's like, I think you should talk to your parents. And I was like, why? <laughs> and he was like, well, because even though you don't speak to them, they occupy a negative space within you. So even though you're not talking to them, you're constantly thinking about them. And he's like, it would help you to basically evict that energy out of you. And he's like, you're not 
this is how he put it. Uh, don't get me wrong. You're not missing a beautiful piece of artwork in your life. It's like, in fact, you need to stop trying to make a mansion out of a teardown. I'm not suggesting you go to your parents hand in hat, hat, hat in hand. Mm. But in fact, I think you should be very guarded. It's like, see who your parents are and grow away from that. And I was like, that, that was like kind of the first time where I was like, oh, huh. Yeah, that's true. I do think about them a lot. They do. It, it, it occupies a sort of negative. It, it almost reminds me of somebody going back to the scene of a tragedy to, to get closure on it or, or something. Does that, does that sound kind of like what? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I'm just like, if I'm constantly thinking about like, and, and, and mulling and I think, I mean, in a lot of ways, and I know now that that's what was a big chunk of what was holding me back. It's sort of this, like, it was, I, I, I take responsibility and then I've sort of made my family into the sort of dark cloud that I just kind of Eeyore sort of would carry with me, you know? And in their absence, they weigh more than, you know, having a relationship is with the, them. Is the weight the burden of you feeling like you're a bad family member? Or... that That's in there. That's definitely in okay. there. And how... And also in there is... is because I re- relate very much to what, to what you're talking about. Um, do you also feel like... Um, the weight is also made up of what if one of them dies? You know, I will feel like I have unclosed business. I mean, describe describe what the, what the weight is instead of me trying to trying yeah. to guess. Why don't you? Why don't you? I would say. Um, actually, I wonder if I should hold off and tell you a little bit more. Okay. About um, so- this is a storyteller right here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. She knows how to unwind a spool. <laughs> and if you could make the light spotlight gonna, directly on top of me, we're going to push in on this. Thank we're you. Not, we don't even have cameras, but we're going to push in. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so that happened. Then I've been seeing a shaman. Um, you know, another thing I've been thinking about is I want to have a family. And I don't, as best I can, I don't want to carry stuff onto this new idea and this new relationship. Old stuff. Uh, and I don't know. By relationship, you mean with your husband, Scott? Oh, no. With my baby. <laughs> when I, if, I, if and when I have a baby. Oh, okay. I, I don't, you know, this mom stuff, I, I just feel like I don't, I want to deal with it. How close are you to having a baby? I mean, not that close, but but I honestly, I'd love to be pregnant this year. It it won't happen before April. We've mm-hmm. talked about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I want to have I want have a baby. Um, and, and just briefly, the, the what do you get out of going to a shaman? I've never seen one. I've heard people talk about shamans. They're they're mystics. I mean, what yeah. what? Yeah, I would say mystics. Look, and guys, I am fully aware I sound like a of the eye rolling quotient, uh, and I do it too. I I eye roll about everything that I do, and yet I truly believe in everything I do. Hey. It's you know cool. what to say. I had somebody read my palm in when I was twenty years old, and she said, 
oh, that's interesting. And I said, what? And she said, your health and your money line cross each other. Hmm. And, I, and I've never forgotten that. And here I am doing a podcast about <laughs> mental health, you know, late in, late in my life. So, you know, I, the door is always open in yeah. my mind for stuff like that. How much weight do I give it? I, you know. Exactly. You don't have to commit the weight to it up front. That's right. Oh, you know what that sound is? It's time to give our sponsor a little bit of love. Our sponsor this week is Squarespace, the one-stop shop for creating your own website. If you've never checked Squarespace out and you've always wanted to create your own website or you think that the website you currently have needs an upgrade, check it out. It's super easy to use. It's a drag-and-drop interface. They have great customer support. They're they're available 24-7. You can start using Squarespace for just 8 bucks a month, and that includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required. And if you purchase, make sure that you get the 10% off by supporting the show and using the offer code HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y. So check it out. You know, the, the internet can be your place to let your uh, your fucking freak flag fly. And uh, it's, it's what I'm doing. I'm a freak. I'm on the internet. Come join me, won't you? So once again, go to Squarespace and for 10% off, use the offer code Happy, H-A-P-P-Y. Thank you, Squarespace. Um, for me, uh, how's best to put it? Um, okay, so when I, I met the shaman through a friend of mine, she's like, I feel like you should meet her. And it's great because she, uh, her name's Sarah Finlay. If you go to Shamanic Flame, you can read up on her and her organization. Um, she's this white lady from Vermont. <laughs> And this came to her later in life as well. Um, and she she's taught me how to journey, which is basically guided meditation. And where you journey, you kind of uh, was able to find a place that I can go to on my own at any time and kind of call out for any guides, who usually are a form of like animal guides and stuff that could tell me things, right? So there's that. There's also, she did something called soul retrieval, which is wherein I lie down and she is... Um, she uh, has uh, bells and, of course, uh, I'm bastardizing this like I did Grinberg Method the first time I was here. <laughs> but um, uh, the idea of it, there's drumming, there's her chanting, uh, there's bells. Um, what I'm doing is I'm lying down, my eyes are closed, and anytime a thought comes into my head, I recognize it and kind of let it go away and don't pay much mind to it. Meanwhile, she's basically if you will, bring in good energy, taking out bad energy. Um, and we talk about, she too, I've been working with her a while, and she too kind of encouraged me to speak with my mom. And I've, for many healers, doctors too, um, I have a coldness in my belly, um, kind of in my root, or I did. And it's been from number people. Literal or figurative? I don't, sometimes I take out feeling from that, and that has to do with being molested. Mm-hmm. That has to do with, well, that's a big part of it. That's a, that's a huge part of it. Um, and, and you know, to get pregnant. And the, but, per, the person who molested you again? We haven't talked about it, really. I was going to say. I, I, yeah, we haven't really talked about it. 
don't think I'm going to touch on that today. We got a lot to get okay. through, but I don't think here. I, I sort of slightly mentioned it before. I kind of want to wait for a couple people to die. Okay. I've thought about this a lot. Um, you need me to speed anything along? Nah. Oh, no. oh yeah. <laughs> with somebody, like, with somebody no, dying. No, they're going to die on their own accord. <laughs> We'll let them, we'll let them, the things are going to carry themselves out as they should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that's been a thing. Like uh, part of my like three year kind of journey into wellness has kind of been like warming all like me getting back into my body. So much of it, I think I've talked about before too, is the detachment of it. Yeah. Your, your body is such a important source of information for your past and what you're feeling and uh it can it can really you know er, i've been in relationships before where I, i i would be having sex with a with a woman and it felt like i was oh this sounds so fucking weak but it felt like i was being raped mm. um it felt I, I don't know how to describe it other than it 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 I felt like I was a bystander and it and I, I had difficulty saying anything about it because you know you think to yourself you're a fucking dude you know you could kick her ass you you know you're she's not doing this against your will but there was an energy to it that triggered something in me that made me shut down yeah and 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 yeah, let me just let me just say that. Yeah. So I believe th- yeah, that just, we hold stuff in our body. We hold stuff in our bodies. We we have automatic reactions, and they're not just like our like, you know, the stuff we do mentally when we get scared. Our body seizes up. My body has seized up. I think maybe I mentioned before, but like through the Grimberg method that I uh, I did for a while. Um, I really learned that my left shoulder just shoots up and sometimes even like my arm almost almost like a defensive sort of stance and I don't realize I'm doing that. It's been like when you're doing the Grinberg method or or, or just in no, general just in life. There's stuff that I I think a lot of us we don't realize we're doing, you know, when we get scared or just automatic reactions. Your why are your shoulders seize up? Like I lose sensation in my toes or something like that. You know, things that we don't realize when the flow isn't happening throughout the body. And so back to the shaman and talking about like things that kind of always comes back to the root or to my stomach too, just like this sort of like coldness. Um, and to get pregnant, you need to be warm. And then I also just have a lot of it like a lot of uh, anger. She, she felt a lot of anger in uh, like my stomach, my like pancreas and stuff like that. And and the idea of like, well, maybe it's time to talk to your mom, you know, that that, you know, if I'm just the symbolism of I want to I came from my mom's stomach. I want a baby in my stomach. Maybe it's time, which I was dragging my feet for the longest time. So there's a lot of space between the psychic and the shaman. And and the beautiful thing that the shaman said to me, she said that the work that we do, shamans believe that time is a lateral all things are happening at all time. It's all folded upon. And the work that I do with her could help heal my mom, which is a beautiful idea. The energy and the work I'm doing to make myself better and to clear things 
would help my mom and would stop what she would put as like a family curse, if you will. Because it's something that she brought up to me that I never really entered my mind that the idea is very likely that my mom was molested. Um, Just, and I hadn't, hadn't really considered it, but it's like Laos, I mean... When you Being. described when you described in in the previous episode the rage that would fill her something 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 was 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 done and like one and maybe we did talk about maybe we did talk about this I don't recall but one time and I'm sorry I know we're jumping around but um my my mom owned a restaurant in the back of my mom's restaurant um my cousin who was like. 20, 21 at the time, he was a waiter and his friend, who was his age, would come around and me and my cousin, who's a little younger than me, we would play in the back and he came. He was kind of like playing with us and then he was sort of like wrestling with us and then he like grabbed my boob. And I remember grabbing, like like being really like, what is that? And then grabbing my... um cousin and we went and talked in like the pantry and was like that was messed up right yeah that was messed up and I confronted him was like you shouldn't have done that that's bad and he like laughed at me I remember telling my mom that and my mom basically intimating that it was my fault and that we shouldn't like it's my fault I was asking for it and we shouldn't tell my dad and that's like now I think about it I'm like "Hmm." like well how first of all that was incredibly destructive to and, me and abandoning Incredibly. I, I think more more um, injuring than than the original thing and yeah. i hear it time and time again i get emails from people who they go to their parents to say you know my my brother is molesting me my cousin is molesting me your boyfriend is molesting me and they get treated as liars and it's like oh yeah, man. man so how can you how can that not leave you with a a some bitterness but b how could i ever go to this woman with anything important in my life cuz she's going to put her needs and the family looking good ahead of it yeah that would be it to a t <laughs> like that would definitely and it fucked me up you know like later on of just like when i just had like a real run in my early 20s of just like Boy, uh, roommates, f- fathers, um, uh, a father figure, father figure boss, making overtures, inappropriate overtures, basically propositioning me, and the 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 thought I was like, well, how did I? The thought process of like, well, how did I bring this on, and what am I doing wrong, and like, it, it really fucked with my sexuality, and like my. Being a woman was a, a, a weakness. Being um, sexual was a liability. Um, you know, it, these these this, this stuff. It becomes like a gas, like this. Like, and I see it more and more to younger girls right now, and and they're younger and younger. Like, you know, it, it, they're affected by this sexualization and this like shaming and. It's it's disheartening. And, and once it's sad. You, and once you allow your brain to begin blaming yourself for for things like that, you know, not that we don't ever have a part in things and shouldn't ever examine 
our part in things. But once your brain begins that sick turn yeah. of looking for what you did wrong, the brain is so ingenious, it will always come up with ways to justify that self-hatred that's just kind of in there. I mean, you know, it's like the ego, the ego, the ego, <laughs> He, it wants to like help you. It wants to take care of you. Um, but <laughs> it will, it will mess you up if you listen to it. Absolutely. It will coddle you. It will find, it will make you, you see the worst in you if you really listen to it. Sometimes you gotta just like, your ego deserves a, a spot at the table. Sometimes you guys have to shut the fuck up. But it's hard when you're, you self parent yourself and you don't have, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I, I for me, I became, the voice in my head it was like even worse than my mom it was all you know there's just so many i've said it before of just like it was like every interaction or something that went wrong it's like i go into my head i detach from reality and it becomes this like you know courtroom where i (laughs) am such a good description yeah i'm i'm on the stand i'm the judge i'm the prosecution i'm the defendant i'm the jurors i'm the witnesses and this is just that's insanity. It's such a waste of mental energy. Such and then you're not present with those people around well, it you. It makes you not trust yourself. Constantly second guess. What are you, what are your motives? What are you trying to do? Like you're, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's tiring. It's like blinds down, lights off, blanket up. Bye-bye. Like that's that's what it is. Um so, yeah, so... Well, the service that, that, that you do... I'm just going to adjust your mic yeah. for a second. The service that you do, the... Oh, vol- like volunt- by core, yeah, the com- core and stuff. Yeah, the, that must be in- incredibly gratifying because you're, you're not thinking about yourself when you're, when you're doing those, those mm-hmm. things. And, and that is m- why I do them. Yeah, it must be it's very... very simple, living. yeah. And Absolutely. I, I hark on that all the time. I don't know if that's the right verb, but I, I, I emphasize that all the time with people that are isolators and feeling wounded and whatever is get out of yourself. It feels like you are just going to go be rubbing sandpaper all over your body because you're going to have to deal with other people. But there's light in other people and there's light in being of service and that light can sometimes keep that little ember that's starting to feel like it's going out inside us can give it oxygen and and really kind of yeah and gratitude and when you're sitting in gratitude it's almost impossible to be negative yeah tippy dippy do i go to marianne williamson and read her books yes yes i do (laughs) we wouldn't do that (laughs) shit if it didn't work though it works because i have to remember for the longest i thought again i was like i was just I didn't realize it. And frankly, if I didn't do any of this work, I would probably lead a pretty nice life. Um, but I wasn't realizing that I was not I was living in a state of trauma of my past. So I just had that filter and this belief that I was going to hurt somebody and people hurt me. And what that does, when my goal and what I love are intimate strong relationships it is near impossible to get to that when i'm worried 
when I'm not even thinking about it, but I'm worried. Were you, you're afraid that you that there is a mean streak buried inside you that's going to be unleashed because of the the meanness that was visited upon you as a child. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and would, a lot would, of energy was tamping it down, which I don't do as much that anymore. Rage. Yeah, I'm just like because if that that means if I rage, if I hulk out, then I'm her. If I hulk out, then she's right. And you know, does your mom turn green? Yes. <laughs> nice yes and. Yes. <laughs> and yellow. Yeah. <laughs> um and so you didn't want that. Yeah, and I didn't really and I was just doing a lot of managing, like a lot of managing, a lot of like, you know, I don't want to retread, but the, the like, you know, making myself, my, my voice, that Israeli lady from Gridmer Method, one of her big goals was for me to drop to my real voice. And it's this one. But for when I get nervous and when I would like make sure everything's okay, we get really, really high. And that's all to be non-threatening and everything's okay and you're good because you're not going to turn on me. And I just need to, to take the temperature of everyone in the room. And so, so I'll be okay. And I just need to sort of manip. I mean, it is a manipulation, guys. There's no... You know, whatever I did it for survival, but there's manipulation. Extremely, in it. extremely subtle. But yeah, of just like so that I just, but everything will be okay. And you know, are you going to turn on me? And I don't know how to feel because I want to know how you feel. And let me service you in that way, and like not be in touch with where I'm at, yeah. and I, to constantly be thinking, thinking. So when I'm like that with you, I'm not with you, am I? Mm-mm. I'm not having a conversation. We're not. I'm trying to make things work out and I'm managing and I'm muscling and it's a lot of effort. Yeah, it's like your your God in that moment becomes that other person's facial expressions, their demeanor, their they energy. Said it. And everything you yeah. do then becomes about managing how they are expressing themselves. And if somebody's kind of stone-faced or whatever, those are the toughest nuts to crack because then it's like, oh my God, give me something to work on so I know how I'm doing. How, how do I need to tap dance harder? Do yeah. I need to... What's my tactic? Do, yeah. And I always, you know, whenever I hear somebody that has a really high voice like that i always think that is probably the scariest person when they snap (laughs) probably because i think about all that stuff down stuff down stuff down stuff down and it's got to go somewhere it's going to come out in cutting or bulimia or something but anyway so go so, so go ahead um, I I forgot where we were going. So we were talking about rekindling with your mom. So you so you done uh, yes. the, done this work and you didn't want to have that that. I just figure maybe it's time. Yeah. But I dragged my my feet to it because I'm just like, ah, I don't want to do this. I'm doing well right now. Do I want to start opening this door? But I decided to do it, and that's usually that was around September of last year, early September. Called her up. Um, we had a conversation. She cried. She didn't understand why, which is hard for me to believe because I was very clear. In fact, I wrote her a letter. Um, but she you didn't know. understand why you would not talk to her. For yeah, that time. Okay. yeah. But we kind of set up. You know, let's talk every Sunday, and uh, it was good. I thought by October nineteenth, which is her birthday. I, we had a breakthrough conversation. 
And um, it was just supposed to be, I just called her happy birthday and I didn't mean for it to become a conversation about a relationship. It quickly went there. Um, and I've always said like, I, I don't need an apology from my mom. I don't need, I don't need anything from, you know, what, what is that going to do? You know, it's like, it's really tough because what I would love and a lot of us would love, maybe you, is to take a time machine and, and, and like have a confrontation with the parent when their age then now it's not so awesome they're frail life they're 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 weathered from life it's not they as remember satisfying. things differently than we do i'm and sure different people now but it's like if only mm-hmm. <laughs> we, you could you could like have your the little use back and step in between and and have that conversation then oh like that would be satisfying but to, now it's just it's harder now right and they, they, yeah, so, so I, we just started talking about stuff and she made some comments about how you're supposed to help family as best, no matter what. And I said, like, I can't help people unless they help themselves. And then that kind of evolved to me talking about how difficult it was growing up and feeling like I'm not good enough at home, I'm not good enough at school. I'm just this constant feeling of not being good enough. And I'm crying and she was just like, she apologized. She said, I'm sorry, I really messed you up, I'm sorry. And she's never apologized to me. Like that's not her MO. She doesn't say she's sorry. And if she says she's sorry, it's so fast and Mm -hmm. it's like, well, it's because you made me do this. It's like, was that an apology? I can't tell. Um, And then, but her saying she's sorry opens up for me to go, no, mom, you were doing your best. I know, I know it was really hard. I know you're a war survivor. I know you were trying to make things meet. It it creates a bridge when, (laughs) when for her to have made this apology. And I thought it was, it was kind of this really like, beautiful conversation and she had been like kind of pressing to like come visit me and I've been kind of like no I'm not ready for that I'm not ready for her to come into my space um this is so very new and then like cut to um oh I think I in our Sunday calls it said like hey maybe maybe I'll come visit you guys November and December possibly um and that way I can see my sisters and my nephews I can see my mom and she's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. So cut to you brought up UCB Core. We we did an event where there was an improv workshop at the Aviva Center for girls. Um, these high school girls. Uh, big, it was it was a lot like Dangerous Minds. They begrudgingly did improv games with us. Mm-hmm. Um, let's all stand in a circle. Oh, look, Dominique's sitting in a chair. That's OK. <laughs> like that yeah. type of thing. But it was of all of the core events that I've done. It was the most um, exhausting, even though I was just observing because it was harder to get the girls to do stuff you know they did stuff they did participate but it was it's a harder thing right like one of the like girls like walked past me her and her friend she's like oh my god she's the most annoying laugh like to me and i was like god damn it i'm back in high school (laughs) like the feelings i had i was like so i after that i um, met scott to go see skyfall uh my husband at the arc light and i had time so I ordered food and I was like, oh, I'll call my mom. 
And I call her and she, she, I, I forget what we talked about. We were just talked about nothing, no problems. And then I was like, you know what, mom? Actually, I'm not going to be able to visit you. I'm, I'm leaving for a lot. Scott and I are going to go on a trip on the holidays. You know what? Why don't you come? Maybe in January you can come visit me. And then she launches like, oh, well, I can't. I blah, 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 blah. And then proceeds to ask me for money, which is something that I have been terrified about because I don't know if I've mentioned before is that my mom is very like money and she's she's always been the breadwinner, but she's. She's a real hustler in a lot of ways. And I was like, well, okay, well, that, what, what? Hustler, like in legal sense or kind every, of a shady? Every sense, okay. yeah. Okay. While being the breadwinner, while working her ass off, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so then I'm like, okay, this makes me uncomfortable. We just started speaking again. So this is now, now this is November. We just started speaking again in September. Well, she's like, well, it's because she had surgery. Um, she's behind because she didn't work that time. She wants to, you know, their house was, uh, they're, they're finally officially being evicted, like, March. But, like, she, this has been going on for two years. Like, my mom's super resourceful, like, mm-hmm. for two years. So she's like, well, I, I want to get a government-assisted condo. I want to put, like, it's like $1,500 for... Uh, a down payment. She's like, I don't want to pay off my credit card bills. And I was like, okay, <laughs> why do you need to wow. borrow money from me to pay off your bills? Right. Um, I was like, well, look, it makes me uncomfortable, mom. She's like, I don't want to make you mad. I'm like, I'm not mad, but we just started talking. I said like, I'll talk to Scott, but there's no lies between me and my husband. So I'm not giving you any promises. She's like, okay, okay. And I was like, wait, mom, this has nothing to do with gambling, right? She's like, no, no. Alyssa, my youngest sister, said, you know, that she would stop talking to her if she gambled. So my mom was like, I don't want to lose my kids. I'm like, okay, well, all right, I'll talk to Scott, but, you know, we'll see, right? Get off the phone with her. Um, Scott comes, and I was like, okay, so my mom just asked for money, and he was like, wow, that didn't take much time. I was like, I know. He's like, look, we'll talk about it afterwards, you know. We'll talk about it. And I'm like, okay. And it, it almost seems like, too, like she was planting that seed in that first conversation with you, you when she said, well, family helps each other out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so then I kind of was like, ah, let me talk to my sister, Alyssa. And I called her on the phone. Like, again, you know, Skyfall is going to happen like 10 minutes. <laughs> I was like, hey, don't. I don't want you to investigate. I'm just like, as, as far as you know, do you know if mom's been gambling at all? She's like, yes. And I'm like, wow. She's like, why? I'm like, mom just asked me for money. She's like, how much? 3000 And she's like, well, on her birthday weekend, she lost fifteen. She lost $1,300 um, at the casino. And she asked to borrow money from me. And I was like, what? Really? I was like, all right. She's like, and... She's like, I think maybe, I bet, if she asked you for money today, I bet she went to the casino today because she was supposed to go to the movies with us and she disappeared. And I was like, oh, God. All right. Okay. Okay. Get off the phone. I call my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, did you go see a movie today? She's like, yeah. I'm like, what movie? James Bond movie. What's it called? Skyfall. I'm like, oh, okay. Did did you lose money at the casino? Yeah. How much? $100. 
I go, are you lying to me? No. I'm like, well, okay. Look, mom, if it's like 300, if, you, if I find out that you lost $300, we're done. Okay, so do you have anything to tell me right now? No. Now, I could see that she was starting to get mad, but she couldn't. And I just kind of let it go. And I still, this point is like benefit of the doubt. This is what my thought was. All right, this is, you know what? Benefit of the doubt, you know what? She's going to, I'll have her mail me her bank statements. And then I'll go through her bank statements and that's all. Like, that's where my, my head goes. Like, I'll, all right, we'll see. We'll see. Like, that's, that is my instinct, right? So, so I, the movie's about to start. I text my sister, like, Ma, she said she, she only lost, like, 100. And, uh, you know, she said she wanted to do a movie. And then my sister texts me, like, oh, she's like, oh, also, Dad found receipts from the local horse track for five and $600 that same weekend, like, ATM receipts. And I was like, all right. Okay. Let's watch Skyfall. <laughs> like, basically, yeah. watch Skyfall. And then I, it just was like, oh, my God. My mom is so sick that she's gambling on our tenuous, very delicate relationship. I get home after the movie, and I go to, I forget now, but the, the gambler's equivalent to Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. And there's a battery of, like, just questions. Things like, do you know so much about your parents' marriage? Have you had anxiety when mail comes? Have you like, like this whole thing? And at the end of it, it's like if you've answered most of the questions, we want you to know. Like, we understand. And I was like, oh my god! Like after all the things that I've been dealing with in the last three years, which is the mental abuse, the emotional, the phys- the sexual, the physical abuse. Like I really haven't even chipped away at the gambling, my mom's gambling addiction, which up until this happened, I'm like she's an addict she's sick i up until that point i I haven't dealt with it i haven't and that really is in a way the crux of all of my problems with my mom i mean i have memories of sleeping on cold floors of strangers homes while she plays cards of her asking me to lie to my dad of like my dad the fights with my mom about like gambling about like oh, wow. just financial stuff but the tough thing with my mom is that she's always been the breadwinner so it is this thing because i know it's a, it's a, it is a point of pride for her that that this is a way that she it is extremely fun for her but it is a way that she provides and um that pro- probably keeps her feeling stuffed down too because it gives yeah. her something to distract herself from and you can feel all those you know the 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 normal mood swings that people feel from sports or or whatever but in a way that's so fucking unpredictable and damaging i mean my sister Alyssa, who is in 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 college um, she was telling me how like six months ago, mom asked her for money to put a down payment on a government assisted condo. And Alyssa was like, all right, well, let me let me see the paperwork. And she got so pissed off and so <laughs> angry about it. I says, all right, she lends her money, which this pisses me off to no end because that's not my that's my sister's loan money she gets for going to school. And my mom constantly is sweating her for that money. And that's what I'm talking about. Also the hustling and the resourcefulness. Like it makes me so angry. Yeah. You, you know, it would have been so nice if the phrase had been on, on your tongue when she said family 
you know, helps each other to say family's also honest with each other and family shouldn't abuse each other. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the, you know, the guilt I have with my sisters and, and moving away when I was 18 and they're, they're nine and 11 years younger than I am. It's been like being, not being more of a buffer between them and my mom. And while I was away, she would constantly like, like be using their account, like accounts and, you know, paying for things and moving money around and, and in what many ways I felt like strapping them down financially, my middle sister especially, like like locking her down on a car payment and all these phone stuff, like when she's 16, you know, when the focus became on like that and working and bills and not on school as much. And, um, and just like, like, and then with Alyssa, Alyssa was like, she was more of like the academic one. And it was like, you go anywhere, like you get the best grades and we'll take care of school. My mom sweated me so hard too because she didn't have any money for Alyssa's school. When it came down to it, she had no money for Alyssa's school. And she sweated me to pay for, to sign a loan, like to do all of that stuff, which I couldn't at the time because my credit was bad. That was, you know... It was still inappropriate for her to ask me. And so then my middle sister, Alyssa, Anita, signed for my sister's loan. And so she's now asking that my, you know, it's just like, what are you doing? And all of this to keep up the front that she's a mom that can provide for herself. And she can't, she can't even see the lie in herself that her gambling has ruined her ability to provide for her family. She's young because she. You know, my mom's if okay. So I'm 32. My mom's 52. She's gotten like knees, all these surgeries because she does. She works crazy hard. But what is she'll say she's working hard for us? But the truth is, she's working hard to pay off her debts, and she's doing that to herself. Like my and she can't work as much as she can. She was she used to work like 70 hour weeks, 60 hour weeks. Point of pride. But it's like, why are you working so hard? And especially now, like you've not been paying a house payment for like two years. I have a problem, too, with parents that remind their kids how hard they work for them. It was their decision to bring a child into the world. You know, that's like saying, you know, I bought a car and I'm going to remind people how hard I work to wash this car. It's like, well, you you put yourself in the position to have to work hard. And that's what parents are supposed to do. They're supposed to work hard. I think it's okay to go to your kids and say, you know, I'm feeling, uh, you know, uh, a little overwhelmed right now. I'm feeling a little stressed out. I need a little time away to kind of, you know, get my thoughts together. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a fucking robot around your kids, but putting that guilt and draining your kids emotionally and financially is, I get so many emails from people who, have a relative, either a parent or a sibling, that drains them, that that guilts them into saying, you're not giving me enough, I'm suffering over here. And, you know, yeah. there, there's only a certain amount of giving that is the good kind of giving. And then at a point, it becomes draining of your essence. And you can sense when that is. When that yeah. person's phone number comes up and you feel dread, there's a pretty good chance that person is draining you. And, you know, if you're not talking to somebody, a mental health professional or a trusted friend or a support group friend about this, this is way too big for us to to 
to handle on our own because it's so complex and we imbue it with all of these feelings of guilt and our own self-hatred and maybe that person has put the, the, the seed in our mind like my mom did with me that I'm selfish, that I'm rotten at the core. Yeah. Well, you start filtering it through that and then you're going to be constantly coming from a place of I don't do enough for anybody. I've yeah. got to do more. Does any of this ring a bell? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely does. I mean, growing up, you know, my mom, her form of affection was like, you know, purchasing things, but then she'd rip them just as fast. I mean, it was a constant game of control, too. I mean, to me, I really realized like, like withholding love, like it, it's, it's torture, it's, it's so torture. cruel. It's so cruel. And to think, so, yeah, so it was never, you know, she wasn't affectionate. She wasn't, you know, you know. When would she be affectionate with you? Or would she ever be? No. I don't know. A time of affection. Very rarely. What What Very would rarely. be the most positive experiences that you would have with her where you felt the closest to her as a kid? As a kid? Or, or adolescent? Uh, like sometimes I, there be stuff here and there. I, I can't really. It was better when I got older, when I moved out, and I was more of an adult. But it wasn't good being at home. It just wasn't. I mean, that was you know I had everything. I felt like a slave, so much you know, and it was like. I have to take care of my sisters. I have to clean the house. I have to get good grades. I have to not talk back. I have to clean her room. I have to, you know, do everyone's laundry. I have to, you know, and if I complain or talk back, you know, I'm a piece of shit and how hard they work and how, you know, how much they've been through. It's really hard to, by the way, parents, it's really hard to appreciate somebody who does that, who says that stuff all the time. It's really, really, really hard. Um, I can't imagine. And it's a lot of responsibility. They gave me a, a lot of re responsibility at a very, very young age. Um, you know, one of the things that my mom said in that good birthday conversation, I thought one of the most honest things she said to me was that she doesn't know how to be in a family. She said to me, she left home at like 15 to go to school. And she doesn't know how to be in a family. She's not good in a family. I was like, wow. Not that it makes anything better, but it is that there, for my mom, there's some sort of self-awareness. Yeah, you know, it's most... Nice. Nice. A, a, a lot of addicts do have kind of moments of yeah. clearer thinking. And, you know, that's part of, you know, as a, fe as a fellow addict... I, I, I kind of feel for your mom, but not to the point where I think you should put up with that shit. You know, I, I think my opinion is the ball's now in her court. Does she want to do something about her addiction? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about the Monday text real quick. Okay. Let me grab my phone. Uh, because so Sunday she calls and asks me for Monday money. Um, then I go... I'm really confused because uh, I'm like, do there's guilt? Do I help my mom? She's my mom. She's in a bad spot. This makes me uncomfortable. This uh, a couple of days ago, uh, she did this. No, this this was uh, the Sunday call, like in November, basically. Oh, okay. Okay. And then I go on the Gamblers uh, Anonymous Al-Anon um, website, and one of the things they say 
was like, you should never give money to, a, for any reason, give money to a, a gambler. And I was like, wow, that was, that's even an option. Like, and that really, okay. I were like, so I really kind of like breathed that in. So now we're going to, I'm going to grab my phone real quick. We're going to jump to Monday. Um, I'm on my way to Marianne Williamson, uh, at the, who does Monday weekly, uh, lectures basically, uh, at the Saban theater. And while I'm on my way there, my mom texts me. Hold on. <laughs> I love when things have a poetic timing, too. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm driving, and she writes, uh, Cool up. Could you please? I need help. I never ask for anything. I will make arrangement to pay you back. Pay you back any penny. Oh, that was in the morning. I'm sorry. So that was in the morning. And then at 730 at night, this is it. You are not going to help your mom. When I need the most help in my life, all the things I did for you, you are the part of me. I don't have the gas to go to work tomorrow. I love how she makes her problems your problems and that she's never asked for help. She says, please cool up and Scott transfer money to my account and gives me her account number. That's so sad. That's so sad. I'm so sorry that you I'm so sorry that she has to deal with that illness but i'm really sorry too that that you that you have to deal with the manipulation of the addict that's that's the part that does so much fucking damage and that trust is so hard to rebuild for for the loved ones of of the addict and i know as somebody who has who has hurt the trust of those around me you know thinking i was well intentioned but when you when you are so miserable and empty inside and your addiction is the thing that makes that brings you euphoria that takes away that feeling of deadness it's so easy to serve it it is so easy to serve that and to look at the repercussions of it later um so just under try not to take it personally that your mom's doing this That literally this this is the turn for me all this was a turn because for me, because I don't regret anything that has happened. I don't regret. I'm glad I spoke to my mom. It was the right thing to do. I'm glad we had the conversation on her birthday. And I'm glad it happened when it did. If it happened later on, let's say when I was pregnant, I would be, because I was already having, going back to my fantasy, of like what our relationship could be and how maybe she could help me and how maybe this is, I was going into what I have always wanted our relationship to be. Right. Which is an important distinction between the fantasy you have of where you want it to be and, and where it, it actually is. Yeah. As the psychics say, to, to see it for what it is and to grow away from it. So I had made the decision of like, oh, what I, you know, through therapy, <laughs> I went to my therapist um, and, and just to go, oh, I never have to give her money was this like, oh my God, concept that like is amazing and that removed you know that was my fear that would ruin my marriage of like my mom seeing you know my marriage as like an atm a golden atm i mean that was like i don't want to give her money i feel like i have to give her money but i don't want to give her money because i want her to keep asking me for money like these are the thoughts i'm having when it's like oh no i'm never going to give her money and i left her a message telling her that of like i love you i think you need help um but that's up to you to find meetings are free and i hope you go to them but i will never give you money you can't ask me for it if you do i'll hang up 
that's it. I still want you in my life. And it's up to you to decide under those circumstances if you want to be, if you want me in your life. That's beautiful. Good for you. That's so I, awesome. I left her that message. And were you scared when you were leaving it or did you no, feel strong? I was, I felt strong because I realized it wasn't me for the first time. This isn't me. I'm what has oper- been operating in my head was like, what, what piece of garbage am I that my own mother can't love me like I need her to love me? Yeah. What is so wrong with me that she's like this? Having that text and seeing it like that was so shocking when I was like, oh, this isn't me. This is not, my mom is sick. My mom has a disease. It's not me. It's not my fault she's this way. It's not my fault that our relationship's this way. And frankly, even though I know my friends believed me, I know you believed me when I talked about my family, but to be able to go, see, I wasn't lying. I wasn't lying. Because your mom and and the... That in that sickness, they wear away your self-esteem. So you begin to think that that suspicion or that all those things that in, in, in those moments of meanness that they accuse you of being, it's like this sick garden that gets planted in you that you're always aware of until you begin to confront that person and stand up for yourself and you realize, oh, my God. I'm a better person than I think I was. And it's been there all along. I've just been afraid to act as if I am an okay person. Yes, absolutely. And then you feel it in your bones and it's like, oh my God, I'm so glad I took this leap of faith and stuck up for myself. I mean, and so what I described, that's what was in the cloud that we were talking earlier about. And since then... I felt like it was a huge weight off of me because what happens when you have that garden, that sick garden that you tend to all the time? Well, I can't be a writer. What do I, (laughs) who am I to be a writer? And I'm not good enough. Of course I go to this audition, but I'm not good enough for this. She's better than me. You know what, I, I, why would I even want this? No, I'm not good enough for this. I didn't go to the right schooling. I'm not thin enough. Oh, I'm not lovable enough. They'll see me who, re- who I really am. I, I'm a fake. I'm a phony. Like, I'm, I'm phoning selfish. it in. I'm selfish. I'm a monster. I'm, I'm saving people by not showing who I truly am. I don't know who I am. Like, what happens? Like, what? So if that gets removed, that gas gets sucked out, you're like, oh, my God. What can I do? Like what? And I've been in this kick of like, I've been so, so creative, less, less about like the sort of gatekeeper that says why I can't do everything, that voice. I'm just like, shut up and go away. Like, (laughs) and I've just been like writing and collaborating with people and feel, and I just feel just so much more in my body. I feel the best I felt ever about myself and about my relationships and about my marriage and about, frankly, having a baby and being a mom. Like I, it, I, I, that's, I want it. I want to do that. And you know, with my in regards to my mom, she, she, like a week later. I get a box and it's like a priority mail box 
um, from her. There's no note inside. There's 12 dozen huge um, organic Honeycrisp apples that she hand wrapped. That's it. <laughs> like that uh, was her. Like that. That was, was her, her apology. Yeah, that's how she communicated. And I did have guilt of like, well, should I call her? Or, you know, but where I stand right now, I'm done parenting my parent. I've laid out what I want, and she needs to come meet me. She needs to call me. She needs to, and and how I feel is when I talk to her, it's not gonna, it's not as noisy. It won't be as noisy as it was in the past. It's like, it's, it's so weird. It's like it's not my fault. Like, yeah, it's not my fault. It's not, you know, she's not, she's not unhappy because of me. Like, and I don't have to continue this curse. Like, I don't need to. Take this on. It's not mine. There's so much that I want to do. The freedom is incredible. It's, I feel so free. Like that, I feel so free. And, and not just by establishing the boundary with that person, but by establishing that boundary and backing away from it and looking at it and not feeling guilty about it. That is the combination that is so awesome when you can experience that yeah because before it was like i think i mentioned to you just like people like oh, you're not talking to your mom like she's your mom like i'll be your mom it's like don't you don't, don't listen don't li- <laughs> exactly you don't know our situation and 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 i know that you are talking about your mom and it's different you know and i don't need to take that on and i don't need to you know fold that into my being right like I have confidence in knowing what the deal is with mine. Like, yes. like you know, somebody started to say that to me. Uh, I was doing, I was doing a, a podcast, and they're like, "But you know, what happens if your mom dies?" You know, you know. And I said, "You know, I can't. We may, I may take her phone calls again in the future, but for right now, I'm doing what feels safe to me. Yeah, I felt unsafe around this person." For 48 years. And you can only tell people your needs so many times and have them not be met before you finally have to set up a boundary where your needs can't get trampled on. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the first, you know, I think whatever makes you feel whole and and tr- feels right to you. Like my, my immediate instinct was like, Oh, I'm cutting her off. Like I told her I said, I said, if it's about gambling, we're done. And I knew that would be moving backwards for me. And what has been freeing is like, for me, like, yeah, you can be in my life according to how, if it works for me and I will, I will never give you money. It is like this, like, Oh, like I will not, you cannot ask me has been just like, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And you're helping that person. You're not abandoning them. They're helping, you're helping them see the largeness of their addiction, the largeness of their problem and the largeness of their, their stubbornness 
to ask for help. Because I'm sure your mom knows she needs help. She's talked about it with my little sister, but she's not made any movement towards it. And if enough people start establishing boundaries and giving her consequences. I mean, I had thought she had bottomed out when she was going to lose the house, but I mean, clearly, no. She somehow found a way to prolong it. And like, I mean... When an addiction is your God, you will go to lengths to serve it that would shock most people. Would shock most people. But because most people don't know that that yawning emptiness or that feeling of um, just not rightness <laughs> inside you that needs to be quieted. Oh, and, and just to follow up too, like the world didn't end the next day. Yeah. You know, I, I think my mom was also surprised that my sisters and I talk. Like I've made it a point my to not, I don't interfere with my sister's lives and I don't interfere with, my as best I can with my parents and my sister's relationship Um, because I actually see my sisters I see my sisters they're adults they have made good sound choices and they need to figure things out on their own and I have to respect the fact that they have a different relationship with my parents such Um, an important distinction too yeah and so you know, Anita was like really, my middle sister was really kind of like, I don't want you to stop talking to mom and I don't know what to do. And she watches Kai, my nephew. And I was like, Anita, like don't, I'm in what I do. I'll tell you what I'm doing. You in no way need to do the same thing I'm doing. I won't think any less of you. I know mom helps you with Kai, with our, my nephew, like do what you need to do. I just want you to know what's going on. And, um, my mom, I think, was really struck by how much we talk because she got mad at my younger sister for telling me that she had gambled and, like, you know, and lied, basically, about this down payment. And the next day, my mom didn't go to work. She did not, go, but she had to pick up Kai, so my sister wrote her a check for gas. But she told her, like, I will never write you a check directly in your name. So if it's for T-Mobile, it'll be for T-Mobile. If it's for this gas station, it'll be the name of the gas station. Like, And who knows if that has stayed, if my sisters continue to do that. It's not my business. Like, yeah. it's just not. But the world didn't end the next day. Yeah. You know? Oh. And she gets me, she has in the past whipped me up to such a frenzy to like if something doesn't happen then the world ends we'll die everything you know that's just not real life like it isn't no and they can work you up into that frenzy if you never give yourself the option of disconnecting from that person of disengaging of walking away hanging up the phone or it just speaks to like even though I've been away from her for so long like my friend's instinct was which I thought I was being like very like like smart of just like you know what I'll have her send my send her bank statements that's that's that and I will highlight and we'll have a conversation and that'll be true if like it's like what like I don't I do not need to even go there but that's like my first sort of like all right rational let's be rational yeah <laughs> that's not rational <laughs> like, that's its own type of crazy oh, I love the 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 phrase that somebody in recovery came up with, I'm sure, years ago, that no is a full sentence. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, thank you, Kulap, for being so open and honest and um, giving the listeners and, and me a great example of boundary setting and and the and self parenting. Yeah. I think that's, that's what it weirdly, would be called. Like, and I have more. I actually have more compassion towards my mom now because I know she's sick. <laughs> like, and she doesn't have her hooks in you. Yeah, she doesn't have her hooks. In you. It'll, it'll, it allows you to to look at that person in a way that is more objective and less yeah. imbued with the the feeling of I'm their fucking puppet. It's hard to love somebody when you allow yourself to be their puppet. You're yeah. so full of resentment. And guilt. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul. Love Kulap. Um, and just to give you an update, I uh, emailed her to, because we had taped that, I think, like maybe three months ago. And um, maybe even longer than that. Maybe it was like four months ago. And so I gave her a heads up that I was going to post her episode. And uh, she wrote me back and said, oh boy, oh boy, update. I had an informal intervention with my mom on Easter and now I am making a documentary about our relationship. And so uh, I wrote her back and uh, asked her how it went. And she wrote that she was uh, about, you know, when was she open to getting help? And she, she wrote back, she was open to it. It was the first time the girls and I were really open and on the same page about everything. Once I knew my role was to create a safe space and let everybody talk, I settled down and brought my best self. Getting help is still talk at this time, but I've surrendered to the fact that she's going to do what she's going to do, which I think is, and I think anybody that's in any kind of recovery would agree is such a uh, such a healthy place to to come f- come from so um look forward to seeing that documentary too um what did I want to say oh before I uh take it out with uh the surveys and thank you for for I think I said this last week but thank you for all the support about uh, the longer episodes I know when I first started doing longer episodes I was fretting and you guys um I suppose those that find it too too long can just uh, tune out or listen in pieces. But thank you for the, the, the support that you guys have shown me. Um, as I've mentioned, the website for the show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. And um, there's also a Facebook page for Mental Illness Happy Hour. And um, uh, go read the guest blogs on the, on the website. Um, take the surveys. You can support the show. There's a couple of different ways that you can support the show. Uh, you can support it financially by going to the website and making a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation. You can donate as little as five bucks a month, and once you sign up, it'll just take it out uh, of your credit card every month until you decide to cancel it or your credit card expires. And um, much love to the people out there that are, are my recurring monthly donors. It 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 feels like the foundation that this show is built on for me um because it lets me know i have a future in doing this and as that begins to grow i feel more and more secure i still don't feel quite secure yet cuz i'm still below the poverty line in terms of uh the the money that this brings in and it does cost money to do this podcast too because often um I, i'm not able to record at home and i have to rent studio time and there's keeping the various websites going and stuff like that. But um, 
So you can also support it financially by using our Amazon search portal. It's on the homepage right-hand side about halfway down. And that way when you buy something through Amazon, through that link, Amazon gives us a couple nickels. doesn't cost you anything. And you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, giving us a good rating, and um, and spreading the word through social media, through Facebook and Twitter and Reddit and all those uh, all those other newfangled contraptions. Um, let's get into it. Let's roll our fucking sleeves up and get into the get into the cookie. This is this is a thick ass stack of. I will be shocked. What are we at right now? We're at the 98-minute mark? Wow. And I haven't even started the back-end surveys. I think it will be a miracle if we get this in under under two hours. Um, this is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a woman who calls herself Abby. Uh, she's in her 20s about her depression. She writes, welcoming any life-ending accident about her alcoholism and drug addiction, constant search for that one thing to quiet the voices. About her love addiction, if you do not love me, I do not love myself. About her sex addiction, as a female, I can conquer the world if I use my body. You want to try? About her PTSD, she writes, any raised voice and my heart starts racing, initiating tears. And about her anger issues, she writes, I'm a simmering pot of water. Any additional heat and I'll boil over. This is from a very rarely taken uh, survey called the uh, Vacation Arguments Survey, because I've always found something kind of inherently ridiculous about vacation arguments. And uh, this was filled out by Whale, Will, Whale, Will, a guy in his 20s. Uh, he writes, on a vacation in New Mexico, my mom made my brother and I play the license plate game. We had driven from Texas, so we had a lot of miles of road to search on. At a certain point, we had somehow seen a license plate from every single state but Hawaii. My mom bet my brother and I that she would get another tattoo if we saw a Hawaii license plate, and lo and behold, we saw one in the parking lot of the next landmark. She immediately took it back, and we fought about it on and off for the rest of the trip. This is from the uh, babysitter survey, uh, also another rarely taken uh, survey. I encourage you guys to, um, I'm sure if you're, if you're um, regular listeners of this show, you know that a lot of stuff in the Shame and Secrets survey happened to people when they were either babysitting or being babysat. And um, this is a um, survey specifically about this. This was filled out by... Um, a woman who calls herself, how does she call herself? Oh, and she she calls herself, and here we are. She is straight. She's in her 40s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, she writes, uh, I had heard about BJ's and was changing a diaper on a nine-month-old boy. I put his tiny penis in my mouth, and he giggled. Just a moment, nothing more, but I felt horrible about it. I was 13. I still feel horrible that I did something terrible that will affect him or did affect him. Um, I was just curious. Uh, it was not planned, just a quick curiosity. I never told anyone, but wanted someone to tell me it was okay and I am not a bad person. I never did it again and I do not have any desire to be with young children. 
I feel shame, guilt, and anxiety. I don't feel any damage was done, but don't know for sure because I moved away. It was not normal, and I should not have done it. I do not want a babysitter to do it to my son. I do not trust anyone to babysit except close trusted family or friends and would not allow anyone until my son could talk. You know, I think I think it uh because those those you know, just my dime store opinion on it is it was just an impulsive thing that uh, you know a 13-year-old girl did that she immediately kind of was like, what the fuck am I doing? And never did it again. And I think she should forgive herself. And I I would imagine that's probably um, a really slim chance that an infant is going to remember something like that. Um, and you're not, you know, trying to go fuck children. So I say you treat yourself to a, a fucking big margarita and chill out. This is, um, but I'd be interested to know what other people think. I, I think most people would, would agree with, uh, would agree with me. Um, this is from my first day in therapy survey filled out by a guy who is between 36 and 50. Um, what brought you to therapy? I had not been able to move past the death of a parent 30 years ago with whom I had a very problematic relationship. Um, any fears you had starting therapy? I'm going the low-cost route and I'm working with a trainee. I was afraid he'd be so inexperienced that I'd be wasting my time and would never, and he would never understand me. He's also predominantly uh, CBT trained, and I've always had my reservations about that modality. Um, co- uh, CBT is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Uh, of the fears you described, did any of these come true? He writes, though he may be inexperienced, he is prepared, assertive, and capable. He has begun to challenge my allegedly irrational beliefs a la CBT, so I will allow this process to play out further before I pass judgment. What's worked best for you in therapy? I've had therapists that made me feel better, that is to say, relieved my anxiety and sadness for the duration of this session, but long-term relief and change has, as yet, eluded me. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? I was surprised how proactive he was in pursuing follow-up questions after statements I made. With past therapist, a simple, and how does that make you feel, was the usual follow-up question. And my current therapist was more specific in what he asked. Do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? Regardless of therapist, I've always had a tough time being fully honest, fearing that I'd be seen as completely dismissible as a person if he or she knew how seemingly abnormal my behavior has been. Um, Is there anything you'd like to share with a group of new therapists? He writes, as a client, it's important for the therapist to have a sense of how I perceive change will occur um, and to what end that change will occur. Uh, That is to say, what model of health am I working towards? And that makes perfect sense. Uh, I would imagine most therapists would say that you're working towards a place where you're comfortable giving and receiving love and uh, are comfortable setting boundaries and giving people consequences if they uh, cross your boundaries. I would think that that would be a, a basic goal, but because each person is, is different, they're probably going to have, have different goals. But being comfortable in your skin would certainly certainly be one. And uh, about being honest with therapists, I want to I stress again, I said it earlier in the podcast, but the you know, the more, quote, fucked up you are, unquote, the more interesting you're going to be to your therapist. The more you're, they got into that 
to delve into dysfunction and people with broken coping mechanisms so that they can help you straighten it out. They want to help you. The last thing they want is for you to lie to them. I urge you, because I have told everything to my therapists, everything. I've always been an open book, and it's really helped me because they need that. They need that information to, to help me and to judge me once I leave the room. <laughs> I truly don't believe they judge me. I really don't. Uh, but I was terrified of it in my first uh, probably six months of therapy. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey, and uh, this was filled up by a guy named Jeff who was in his 20s, and he writes, Once when I was 16, I was making out with another 16-year-old, and I groped her, not, n- not quite knowing that what I was doing was wrong. She told me it wasn't all right, and I apologized and never tried anything of that sort again, but I still think about it almost five years later with disgust at myself and fear that I m- might have scarred her. We're still close friends. I haven't brought it up, and I don't intend to. I get the feeling that she doesn't remember, which just makes me feel like I'm beating myself up over nothing. I think you are beating yourself up over nothing. You know, the fact that she told you that it wasn't all right and you apologized and you never tried to do it again. You know, you you learned. You you made a mistake and you learned. And on the scale of mistakes that people can make in terms of their sexuality and other people, dude, that's got to be, if not at the bottom, very close to the bottom. So, um, yeah, I... And why not bring it up with her? You know, just say, you know, there's still kinds of, still kinds of, why am I having trouble talking? It still kind of bothers me that, that I groped you that, that night when we were 16 years old. And, and I just want to make sure that it hasn't fucked you up because it still kind of fucks me up. And, and I want to get some kind of closure on this. And I value you as a friend and I wouldn't ever want to do anything that hurts you and then she'll say oh my god i barely remember that and then you grope her again you go in and right on both her titties and you give him a good honk and uh and then i find a punchline to end this fucking ridiculous bit that i just interjected (laughs) that's right i just snorted at my own bailed out bit this is from Shame and Secrets, filled out by a guy who calls himself Fuck Comcast Internet Guy. He is uh, straight in his 30s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. Deepest, darkest, th- never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts. If someone slows down my pace while walking or driving, I imagine myself beating the shit out of them until their face shows complete terrorization, like I am an invincible predator from the movies, massacring a helpless fishing village in eastern Laos just because they were in my path of travel. Uh, be careful. You might run into some of Kulop's uh, relatives, and uh, some of them are, are wound up pretty tight, so I'm just warning you. What are your deepest, darkest secrets? Um, When I was 9 or 10, my sisters, a couple cousins, and I stayed at my grandma and grandpa's for 10 days. It was filled with lifelong, endless summer memories. But only one memory comes to mind when I think of that summer. My grandpa was in his 90s and not there mentally or physically. He would sit at the couch or on the porch all day long except meals. Never heard him speak five words my whole life. My older sisters discovered that when they sat next to him, he would gently grab the nearest leg and drape it over his leg. I thought it was funny and tried it. Sure enough, he did it. Well, I began to grab his balls through his pants and fondle them. It was 10 to 20 seconds and he didn't do anything to stop me. 
My sisters and cousins were watching from the stairs and sort of thought it was still funny. I carry shame still to this day. He was so old, all he could do was sit there as we manipulated him like a toy. At his funeral, I held back every tear until it was over. I sprinted back to my parents' car before anyone else so I could quickly cry, then wipe my face off. Not sure I was so ashamed to cry that day. You need to forgive yourself. You were a kid, and that's the kind of shit the kids do. Kids are constantly testing their boundaries, performing for each other. And fuck, old people are funny, dude. There's something funny, you know, about, you know, not necessarily that that this guy's mind isn't there, but I, I get it. I, I'd have been howling. I'd have been howling. And um, I think you should forgive yourself because you were, you were a kid. And uh, and I, I blame Grandpa's balls. If they weren't so inviting, they wouldn't have done that. This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Bunnykins. She's straight. She's in her 30s, was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Found dad's porn at a young age and felt sexualized by this and other experiences. An older cousin liked to play, quote, games and pretend she was fucking me when we were about seven and ten, respectively. Uh, Deepest, darkest thoughts. I wish people I know who have had success would lose everything they've achieved so I could relate to them. I love other people's pain and tragedy. When people are suffering, I feel closer to them. I feel pain inside on a daily basis. So why should they be happy? Ugh. I'm the worst. No, you're not the worst. That's a super common thing for people to feel, and, I, and I've felt that before. Um, deepest, darkest secret, started masturbating way too young. Felt intense guilt about it. Would make my friends play, quote, sex games with me. Tried to teach my teachers, uh, tried to teach my friends to masturbate in class when we were about eight. Oh, God, it's horrible remembering this stuff. I feel awful. I was bullied as a kid, but also bullied, bullied at least two other kids that I can remember. I'm worried with their, that they're, they've now killed themselves, but that makes me feel like a narcissist because why would I have been so influential in their lives? I do worry about the residual effects of my hurtful words, though. I seriously think about this at least three times a week over 25 years. It is time for you to forgive yourself. And if you can't forgive yourself, I think either talk to someone or, um, you know, if you still are in contact with those kids, you know, contact them and, and apologize for it. But again, you were a kid. You were, you were in a highly sexualized environment as a child. And you were just acting out stuff that was, that was done to you. So I don't, I don't even know if you need to apologize to anybody, but... You know, talking to a professional would certainly help because if you're thinking about it three times a day for the last 25 years, you know, that that's a weight on your shoulders. And talking to somebody can always, always help unburden that, uh, that weight. All right. Next one. From James the Almighty, Shame and Secret Survey. He's straight in his 40s, was raised in an environment that was pretty dysfunctional, never been sexually abused. Deepest, darkest thoughts, I'm attracted to girls in their late teens. I don't act on it, but I could easily get into a situation if a great-looking 17-year-old ever flirted with me. 
Deepest, darkest secrets. I've recently discovered prostitutes. I love the convenience and excitement of such relations. I can treat them poorly and they still take my load eagerly. It's intoxicating. I think my days of being in, quote, legitimate relationships are numbered now. Um, Sexual fantasy is most popular to you. I wouldn't say I dislike women, but I do get off on dominating them in sexual situations. I fantasize a lot about doing things with women in positions of power or authority when I'm not looking at young girls, but I draw the line on girls that are clearly younger than 16 or 17. Um, would you ever consider telling a, someone your uh, a partner, a close friend? I probably don't have to worry about a serious partner in the near future. Um, do these feelings and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? Depends on the day. Sometimes I think I'm just behaving like a quote normal guy in this age of overtly sexual overtones coming from all directions. Other days I wish I could focus more on other healthy interests. Um, you know, I think it, it, as I as I read this, it sounds like there's that like there's an anger inside of you and and like a hurt and being able to see women just purely as sexual beings feels safe to you and there's a turn on in that, but I think the danger in that is not only of hurting other people but in making your life small and, and, and lonely. So while it may be exciting to go see prostitutes and think of them as something that you're, you know, dumping your load into, it, it sounds corny, but you're, you're really hurting yourself because you're cutting yourself off from the world. And, and the real path to connecting to the world is to talk about your pain and talk about what you're afraid of and to get vulnerable and um, blah, blah, blah. Talk to a therapist. I hope I don't become so redundant in in doing these and in, in how I comment on them. Um, all right, I'm going to close it out with a uh, happy moments survey filled out by a woman named Sarah who's in her 30s. And she writes, I work at a nursing home and care for many patients with dementia. Even stronger than the fear I have of dying is my fear of getting Alzheimer's or some other type of dementia, so I tend to feel especially tender towards these residents. One of my favorites is a 97-year-old woman with severe dementia who has been treated in psychiatric hospitals, but whose doctors, uh, whose doctor now keeps her whacked out on Haldol and Marinol. Her family very rarely visits her because of her combative and angry behavior, and she routinely hits, scratches, and curses employees. She is often not able to be taken outside of her room because she will hit and yell at other residents. For some reason, I love this particular resident. Every day I work, I take a minute to squat down beside her and take her hand and ask her how she is doing. Maybe two times out of three, she will, quote, come to out of her drug-induced stupor and say something nasty like, get your goddamn hands off me or I'll shoot you. You hear me? But then there are the times when she opens her eyes and looks at me and this beautiful smile comes across her face and she will say something to me that makes no sense but I can tell she is reliving a happy memory. At these times I lean over and kiss her forehead and she will motion to me to kiss her cheek and she will kiss my cheek at the same time with a long mwah and look at me with that loving smile. She has no idea who the hell I am but at these times I feel like I'm a vessel or some sort of avatar for a happy moment in her life. 
And not only does she seem to experience some peace, but I get the sensation of a simple, quiet love. One night, she told me that she was, quote, mighty lonesome. And on my break, I went in and sat by her bed to keep her company. I didn't really have anything to talk about because she can't really follow a conversation. But I decided to sing to her. First, I sang, Jesus loves me, because I know she was probably a Christian. And she remembered the words and we sang it together, along with, You are my sunshine and amazing grace. And this other hymn I don't know the name of, but which they played at my grandmother's funeral. In some way, I feel a pure spiritual connection with dementia patients, maybe because so many of their details, their personalities and experiences have pasts, have been buried by their condition, and I have to continually relate to them only in the present moment. I'm rambling now. I can't explain why I love what I do so much. That is one of the most beautiful, happy moments I've ever, I've ever read, and just... What a beautiful human being you are. And and I hope the people that fill out the surveys and are feeling shame, I hope you know that we all have that beauty inside of us. It just takes work sometimes to to find it. And that sound, I know that sounds like a bunch of new agey fucking horse shit, but it's really true. You know, for so many years I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to be dead. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was trapped in this prison in my head and why my heart was so shut off. And I've been doing the work, and, and it's really, it's changed my life. It's led to this podcast. So if you, if, you, if you like this podcast, thank therapy, thank support groups, thank vulnerable people out there that held their hands out to me and loved me when I couldn't love myself. And there's tons of us out there. So the world isn't necessarily propagated uh, by the people who hurt you. There's a lot of people out there that, that want to love you. You just got to give them a chance to do it. And if you're stuck and you're feeling alone, you are not alone. There's always hope. Thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader